Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthro to UX podcast. I'm Matt Arts. I'm here today with Sydney Yeager, who is a senior design researcher at Walmart Global Tech, previously a UX researcher at AcreTrader, and the co-founder and current convener of DANG, the Digital Anthropology Networking Group, which is uh, part of the AAA. So, Sydney, thanks for coming on. Would you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got started in anthropology? Yeah. So, um, I guess to just know a little bit about me, I'm from Arkansas. I grew up in a small town called Smackover um, and really had no idea about anthropology, you know, growing up. I did have a lot of exposure to things like National Geographic and, you know, that sort of thing, but didn't know anthropology was a field until I got to college and my, um, freshman world history teacher told me I kept asking a lot of anthropology questions and that I should consider taking an anthropology class. And I was like, oh, what's that? Um, and so the next semester I signed up for, you know, the intro to four-field anthropology course. And it was a really exciting opportunity. Um, I, it was, you know, everything about it. I was like, this is amazing. This is, you know, stuff I've always been interested in. And I really love the holistic perspective. Uh, I found the anthropology, um, you know, the way it critiqued things like ethnocentrism. It was stuff that I'd, you know, seen all my life, but didn't know how to frame it. And so I thought that was a really powerful perspective. Um, and about the same time, I had the opportunity through the Honors College to take a class called um, Gods and Ghosts of East Asia, which was an interdisciplinary class, but it was taught by an anthropologist. And so it had a very anthropology lens thinking about religion and culture. And so that really got me started. I mean, I was hooked probably from the first few weeks of, of those classes. Um, and, you know, I had considered doing something along the lines of international business, but once I found anthropology, it was it for me. Um, it's interesting because we only had a minor, or we actually, when I was a sophomore, they didn't even have a minor. So they were like really building the program. Um, so I was able to graduate with a minor and then go on to um, get my master's and PhD at SMU. And um, while I was in undergrad through the Honors College at UCA, um, University of Central Arkansas, uh, the Honors College program focused on interdisciplinary studies and they promoted us doing our own independent research. So I actually was able to, um, through that program, go out and do ethnography, do, you know, do my own independent research. Um, I was able to get a grant that funded that. And so I was looking at um, health and healing traditions and storytelling in the Ozarks. Right. So um, that's a mountainous region in the north part of Arkansas and the southern part of Missouri. And um, it was really interesting because I went in with all of my methods that I had just learned, you know, in class, very fresh, like, oh, OK, I'm going to do a card sort and, you know, free listing and had all these ideas. And then you get to the field and you realize <laughs> that it doesn't necessarily go exactly the way you plan. Um, and what I found is that you couldn't directly ask um for home remedies or herbal, you know, herbal medicine treatments that people use, they would never give you a list. They gave you a story. Every, every, every treatment, every, um, you know, 
every remedy was a story and it was the story of the last time they used it the first time they used it the way that their grandmother who's no longer alive had taught them to you know to collect that 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 herb or root from from the local environment and um that storytelling piece i think is actually what really resonated with me and made me very excited to dive deeper into anthropology um so i came from that very like medically grounded um uh, background on on the research that I wanted to do, but I had also always been interested in the digital side of things, and I, you know, I was able to do a, a small study on thinking about how we communicate and present ourselves differently online in places like forums and instant messenger and things like that while I was still an undergrad, and how that differs from the identity that you have in person. So I, I was already thinking about those things, but there wasn't really a field for that to line up for. Um, and when I went into my master's program, I stayed on the medical perspective. So I was thinking about, again, um, traditional healing in Ireland. So people that had cures for things um, and did that research. But about the time I finished up my master's, people online were getting very active um, talking around this idea of digital anthropology. And so um, there was also this very public anthropology piece of anthropologists having blogs and podcasts and, and starting to branch into these fields to really raise awareness about anthropology. And so that's how I got involved with Dane. Um, really from uh, some of these online uh, blogs, um, the site at the time was called uh, Savage Minds, it's now called Anthrodendum. People were talking about we should have a group of people who are studying digital anthropology really come together. And so that was a global movement online first. And then it coalesced into this idea of, okay, we should have an official group. We should have a, an official space in academic settings. Um, and so that's where it branched into coming into the AAA. And um, it was really exciting for me because I was still like a very young, like grad student, um, and, you know, and getting to be involved really in the ground floor of, um, of this idea of digital anthropology. And so there were a lot of, uh, you know, people that now you would consider very senior digital anthropologists who had already published in this field, but they were finding it frustrating that at times, say, they, they'd already published a book on, um, you know, maybe video games and mental health, but their, their, um, their faculty at the university they were working at wouldn't, didn't want to consider it as part of their tenure review, right? They were saying these digital publications, you know, these publications about digital topics weren't really anthropology. Um, and so one of the founding missions for Dang was really this idea of establishing the credibility of anthropologists studying in digital spaces, which is kind of ironic because one of the best places anthropologists were positioned in, indus in industry were in the digital spaces, right? So you have anthropologists really in the early foundings of UX research um, and really doing digital anthropology, but that didn't translate back into academics. And so with Dang, we've really been trying to bridge that gap. Um, and raise awareness of, yes, you can study very serious um, anthropological, you know, uh, ideas and really dive into theory just as well in a digital space as in a, you know, a physical space. Um, and one of the first, uh, one of the first talks we did really to kind of bring this forward, focused on this idea of bridging the digital and the physical, right? That, that, you know, that actually is a false dichotomy. People aren't in the real world, in this fake digital world. Most people today are in both simultaneously. You're physically in a space. You have these digital interactions, usually coming in from multiple channels, right? Um, so this idea of like things like polymedia, right? You've got, you know, different social media outlets. You've got things like what we're doing now with a, you know, a, a video 
uh, conference have become so normal. Um, and that's part of everyone's reality. And so that was a really big part of that statement is like, you can't just ignore this half of people's existence anymore. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that actually also really well positions anthropologists, if you learn those skills, right, then you are very much able to have a lot of skills that are, you know, translatable into fields like UX research. You're great. And so I, I want to come back to Dang and, and dive a little deeper there, but to, to bring it back just to the grad school days. So you sort of have you know, this medical track, you have this competing digital interest. How did you learn about UX? Was it just your interest, you know, in digital and you eventually found your way there? Or did you have anything in grad school that was at all pointing in that direction of applied? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. So um, at SMU, uh, so Southern Methodist University in Dallas is where I was doing my graduate work. Um, there weren't any, no one had done a digital anthropology dissertation at that point. There weren't, um, there weren't professors that were, you know, thinking in that framework yet. Um, but we did have, you know, we did have classes and resources for applied anthropology, right? And so um, we had a, we had a graduate course on applied anthropology with a professor who had done more of environmental anthropology, right? So he had, he had been involved um, actually in the green revolution in the sixties where they're working on um, building the the crops that can give like 10 times the yield of corn, rice, and, and that sort of thing. So he'd been involved in that and, um, and helping people, you know, actually try to get those resources to people in countries where they were having food shortages. Um, and he had done other stuff since then, right? Very heavily involved in the Philippines. Um, so Dr. Uh, Benjamin Wallace, uh, he, he taught us an applied course. Um, we did have, you know, a lot of data analysis that that I think it was set up in such a way it was easily to translate those methods to UX research. Um, but there was no UX research course, right? Um, and even with the early work with Dang, I was mostly interacting with academics, right, who were doing digital anthropology, right? So um, it was primarily, um, you know, people who already had university positions um, or who were grad students that, you know, weren't thinking in the UX uh, framework yet. But um, I was, I had thought, you know, like I said, I had originally thought about international business. So I wasn't opposed to the idea of going into industry. I just wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to find myself. Um, and, you know, early on, I did a study um, when I knew I, I was interested in the digital anthropology during grad school, I did a small study on smartphones, right? And it was um, it was research to help a local school district that was trying to determine their smartphone policy. So at that point, they didn't have phones in the school, um, but they they knew that they were going they were planning to the next year. They wanted to look at how teachers were already teachers and administrators were already using phones on campus, and so that research. At the time, it was more I was helping a local school, but I realized afterwards, like, hey, this is applied anthropology. This is, you know, thinking about um, how digital tools and, and the type of policies that you need to put in place. Um, and so that was kind of my first um, really foray into the applied research. Um, I didn't find UX research through like through grad school directly really at all. Um, I had advice from um, an anthropologist, Jordan Kramer, that if I wanted to do, if I wanted to work in industry, the best um, the best strategy is to do at least one project that's applied 
in industry before you graduate with your PhD. That it's harder if you've got, you know, you've already graduated and you don't have that industry experience. And so I was on the lookout for those kind of opportunities. And mostly I started really small, like the, you know, the local school project. I had a local business um, want help with their website. They had, you know, they had a storefront, but they wanted a digital storefront. And so really helping them design what that would look like and think about how to, um, you know, market it to their, their, their audience of customers in that local area. So those are really small projects, right? Um, and then I had, I was part of um, a design anthropology mailing list and someone posted an internship for product management um, in a med tech company. And I was like, this sounds really interesting. I don't really know what product management is, <laughs> right? And um, so I reached out to him and he was an anthropologist. Um, his name is Sanjay Anand. He had been working on his PhD at Cornell and at some point decided, no, I'd rather be in industry, right? And so he actually made that decision um, and jumped into industry because he realized he was going to be able to support his family better, right? And, you know, that's something that we don't talk a lot about on the academic side, the reality of the job market. Um, but he was actually a, a fabulous mentor to me. He was really excited that I was interested in the product management internship. And I worked with him for six months at Preventive Solutions, right? So it's a med tech company. Uh, they have remote uh, cardiac monitors, so a, so a heart monitor that you'd wear um, from anywhere up to like 24 hours all the way to a month. And then they have a diagnostic AI that reads your heart rhythms and can send alerts if it's, you know, if your heart's going too fast or you're having um, irregular rhythms or a heart attack or something, um, it would elevate those alerts to the to the physician that ordered the study, right? Um, and could, you know, um, could actually like call an ambulance, right? If, if it's a major event. Um, so that was a really interesting uh, group to get to work with. Um, and that's really where I delved deeply into industry. Um, while I was there, you know, it, 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 it was a kind of a, um, end of life startup, right? It had already been going for over a decade. But while I was there, it was acquired by Boston Scientific, right? And so Boston Scientific is a very large med tech company. Um, and so I also got to learn from them, you know, their strategy for product. Um, but really a lot of my role, I did a lot of work in the product management space uh, for those products, but also um, looking at research, right? customer research for um, providers, also thinking about how we could engage the patients because at that point there was no patient engagement. Um, they saw the the providers in the clinics as their customer. And so they were the only ones that were um, had any research being done on them. It was like, how do you market better to doctors, right? And, and, and um, you know, clinic office managers. So um, that was a great opportunity to do a little bit of closer to UX research, right? So research and design, right? Um, so with the patient engagement piece, we were really designing what those interactions would look like too. Um, and so that team, you know, Preventus had a UX design group, right? A few UX designers. It did not have UX research as its own field. And so that was really being done in this gap between design and product. And that's a lot of where they pulled me in. And, you know, that's how I knew I was like, okay, this is, this is really what I like doing. I love doing product research and innovation um, and really trying to think through those strategies of, of how to best serve those end users. I appreciate that you really love the research, but is there a reason that you left product roles? Because there are, there are lots of organizations where the product manager still does the research and then, and whether they do the research or not, they do have more influence. So is there a reason you picked just to do research rather than be in a sort of role where you could do both? 
Yeah, so um, I would say I'm definitely still open to both, right? It kind of depends on the specific location. So um, when I came on with Acre Trader, that was the first role where I had the actual title UX researcher. And um, in that role, I was the, it was a very small team, right? Because it was a startup as well. And um, really it was, they would call it product researcher sometimes, right? But it was part of the product team. I was deeply embedded with the product team. And so what they had me doing is really standing up their their UX research process, right? So what does it look like to do product research? What does it look like to do UX research? Um, and providing that that level of expertise about what methods could work best at what time, you know? And, and so it was really more of that, um, the fact that I had that strong background in anthropology, that PhD, um, you know, level of research, that expertise, I think, made people feel more comfortable about the fact that they were choosing the right method for the right question at the right time, right? Um, and a lot of what I was doing too in that in that position was training, like you said, training product uh, managers to do research, training designers to do research. Um, so really, you know, having that having that role, and I think that was a good fit in um you know for for my level for my expertise in research i think it was a good fit um but it was still i was still having you know still having a lot of strategic influence the same way a product manager would um i do think that one advantage of especially if you're in a role that's allowing you to do more strategic research is that you're getting to stay on the forefront of the research where sometimes product can get, um, especially if you're at the more the detailed owner level, can get really bogged down in the the minutia of the day to day, and you're not on the cutting edge of discovery, which is really where I like to be. And I think that's a big piece of why I prefer the research side over um, product management. Right? Is that I want to be on that um, the cutting edge of discovery, and so I think that's been something that I've been very fortunate to get to do a lot of. Um, in my career, because I know that's not necessarily always what UX research is doing, um, but that's really where you know that's where I thrive, and um, I think that's learning that about myself has um, you know helped me kind of guide my career towards um, towards UX research and staying on that strategic focus. Appreciating you're not going to be able to go into lots of details about the specific work at at Walmart. Can you just tell us a little bit about that role? Yeah, yeah, and I can tell you about the pieces that are like publicly <laughs> publicly known, right? So. Um, First of all, I am on uh, the associate digital experience team, right? So our team looks at all of the tech that associates need to be able to do their job, right? Um, so, so that maybe broader context we need. At Walmart, um, we call ev- all the employees associates, right? So whether you're working in Sam's Club or you're working in the stores of Walmart or you're working at corporate or, you know, in tech, right? Um, everyone's an associate, that's, that's, that's the terminology. So our team is providing all the tech that you need to be able to do your job, right? So in the stores, that means, you know, tech you need to handle merchandising, restocking, checkout, et cetera. Um, at corporate, it might be, you know, managing the, uh, the software you need to be able to hold a video conference, right? Or to put on an event. Um, or just your day-to-day work, right? Your laptop and, and all of that. Uh, so I was brought in um, as part of the work that's being done to support the tech that's going into the new campus. So Walmart is currently um, in the process of building a new 
state of the art, right? The smart campus um, on in Bentonville, right? And so this is a really big expansion. Um, you know, currently we have been at the footprint has been a little spread out, and so the idea is to get everyone back in one central place to really promote um, green spaces and um, and make it a a much more walkable space as well as getting everyone together. Um, and so the idea here is that we would need UX research support or design research support to um, to make sure that all the tech in the campus actually works for everyone, right? So um, that could be things like sensors and, um, you know, the equipment that's in the conference rooms, you know, all the physical tech, um, but also things like, um, you know, uh, software and apps that you need to be able to do your job. And so I, um, I'm working closely with the team that's building out our campus app. And that's probably, I don't know how much detail I can go into it in that piece because that's not very public, but we have an app that would help you navigate campus and handle all your HR needs and communication needs. Uh, so in addition to that, then also those physical pieces. So, you know, making sure that you've ironed out so it's a very seamless experience to walk into a conference room and quickly join a meeting, right? Um, and then also thinking about that broader piece of how you ensure, you know, one, that people want to come to campus, that they have the flexibility they need while they're at campus, um, that they have the resources they need on campus. And so the new campus is also including things like um, a whole health institute, which will have things like a fitness center, but also um, community engagement and um, and some other social pieces. They're working on including things like mindfulness and meditation. So things probably you wouldn't associate normally with Walmart, but they're going to be um, integrated into trying to improve the well-being of employees, right, while they're on campus, um, a new child care facility. And so making sure that all of those pieces then are easily accessible um, and, and, and user-friendly and designed in a way that fits um, to really help people optimize the time when they do choose to come to campus. So, you know, in your career, you've then had the opportunity to build some products for customers. And I mean that in the sense of customer spending money as well now, sort of like focused on the employee experience from, you know, from this sort of tech perspective. Is there any, any observations between the two? So, yeah, I would say there's kind of three, three pieces to it. One you know, is the very direct to customer, you know, B2C, right? And it is very much like you're looking for an increase in revenue tied to whatever you're you're producing, right? Um at Acre Trader, for example, right, when we're when we're focusing on, you know, when we were focusing on um improving the the design of the platform that people are using to invest, right? You're literally wanting that to translate into more dollars invested um to, to really prove the ROI. In some ways, that has maybe more pressure tied to it, but I also think it makes it clear when you've contributed something of value, right? Um, because you're able to say, okay, we improve these experiences, and yes or no, did it actually impact people's willingness to um, to spend money with us? So I think you can make the argument a little clearer there. Um, I think when it's for employees, people... Businesses can be more willing to cut corners if they're saying, okay, we don't want to go to the, you know, the greatest expense to delight and surprise and make our employees happy, right? So it really depends on, you have to really work on how you frame it, right? So you, 
have to kind of dive into the language of business there, right? So you focus it on, okay, yes, like we do want to take this time to make it a really um, seamless experience because when you introduce friction, that actually takes away people's time to do their job, right? It cuts down on their productivity, cuts down on their well-being and mental health, which, you know, translates into not being able to work as much, right? Um, so, and, and, and things like employee retention, right? So you just have to kind of translate it back into those, um, those business goals, right, still. Um, it's just that the business goals are different at that point, right? It's more about the HR goals of, of retaining employees or, employ, you know, um, making sure that everyone is able to easily do their job, right? And so that it's not taking as much time. So I think it's a really about, still about translating it into those, you know, the ROI in, into the business language. Um, but I think that you can face, you can face more resistance if it's on the employee side, because I think people are really willing to say, it's okay if we just make our employees waste a whole lot of time, you know, doing this one thing, you know, so I, I think you have to build those arguments in a way you have to build them stronger um, and, and really tied to the business connection. I think it's the interesting kind of third piece is that what I, what we, what I was doing at Preventus and Boston Scientific, the end user and the customer were not the same person, right? So the customer was seen as the, the the medical clinic that, you know, the doctor that prescribed it, right? Um, whereas the end user is the patient. And um, really, they the, you know, early on, Preventus wasn't talking to the patients at all, right? So there's really this effort to like say, okay, no, you still have to care about the end user. I actually think that better prepared me to be able to do the work on on employees because it's the same thing you're saying no you do have to care about that end user while also making sure that you're taking the customer's um you know needs and, and goals in mind too and so it's more of a balancing act i think when you have um you know when you have that added piece okay great so i want to come back to dang and uh, so what's the future for anybody who's you know enjoyed what they're hearing today and they they maybe want to work in ux but they have maybe some broader interests in just digital how can they get involved you know where should they find you yeah yeah so um you can find me on linkedin of course um but we also have dang we have a slack um but yeah the the live group um has put together a a dang for us a, a dang slack group for us and that's where we're starting to see, you know, current um, the current action going. We we've been really active on Twitter for a while, but Twitter is, has gone in different directions. And so um, we're feeling like that the the Slack space is the best is the best way to go for now. So um, that's Digital Anthropology Group, um, and then it'll say Live Center uh, connected to that. So that's that's the place you can find us. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn as well, and then. We're really looking for, um, and people can reach out directly to me about this. Um, my email is Sydney Yeager, so just my name, um, at, at gmail.com. Um, we're, we're looking for people interested in shaping that new direction, right? So um, really trying to find people who are interested in shaping that conversation about what comes next and building out... Um, a, a group of leaders of that'll shape that direction. So if you're interested in being more involved in Dang, you can reach out to me and we can start thinking about that um, because I feel like Dang has got to this point, right? Where we have accomplished a lot of the goal, like I said, of really 
making sure that digital anthropology is an established field, that it's, you know, respected, that it's something you can study um, and include in your tenure or your PhD. But I think that what comes next is how do we also support that with industry? How do we make sure the full breadth and range of digital anthropology is, um, you know, is really available to people? And so that's something that we're um, we're thinking about. And we've got a few people together that are working on that on a monthly basis. So if you're interested in being part of that, um, I'd love to love to hear from you. And aside from that, I think you also do a little consulting. Yeah, yeah. So um, I have it's Jaeger Wright uh, Digital Solutions, right? So it's digital transformation um, and research consulting. So if you know, mostly we've worked with smart uh, with startups and small businesses at this point, um, as well as a few nonprofits, really helping them with their digital transformation, digital marketing, um, or if they've got a product but they're not sure about the right market fit um, or or need that UX research. Um, those are services we've been applying, yeah. Well, link to that, to the Deng group, to your LinkedIn, of course. And again, everybody can look you up on LinkedIn and look up the Slack group. So, um, Sydney, thanks for taking the time to come on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotoux.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.